We are in this series about questions. And uh, thinking about, you know, Jesus asked a lot of questions. He answered a lot of questions with questions. Sometimes really frustrating people. But he would do that sometimes and cut to the heart of the issue. This question we're going to look at today, we're not going to actually get to the question he asked until a little bit. I paraphrased it like this. Why so judgy? You probably can't see Jesus talking like that, right? <laughs> I can't either. But sometimes you hear that phrase today. And Pastor Jeremy mentioned the fact that uh, people judge, right? Just other people, though, right? Not you. You know, this is one of those sermons where as I was preparing it, I kept thinking, I'm going to have to remind you not to think about anybody else today. Can we do that for a minute? I know it's hard. I, I know it's hard because as I talk about these things, you're probably going to think, oh, I know who he's talking about. Or you might think, I know somebody exactly like that. Or it might even be someone next to you and you're tempted to just give a little elbow or a look or an eyebrow. I know how that is. I know. But I'm going to challenge you to do something today that's difficult and it would go against really our human nature, everybody's human nature. And I want you to hear this for just you. Can we do that today? Can we try at least? Okay. Maybe on the way, no, I'm kidding. I was going to say on the way home you could do that, but don't do that. Let's just, let's just be us. Have you noticed, I love Pastor Newby used to say this all the time, we tend to judge other people by their actions, but then we judge ourselves by our good intentions. Have you noticed that? I mean, I know what I meant to do, so then when someone misunderstands me, even the way I just said that, whose fault? Well, they misunderstood it's not that I didn't communicate clearly. It's not like I didn't get my point across. It's they misunderstood. So it's their fault, right? Isn't that how we do? Or if you see somebody do something, you automatically know why they did it. And you know what was all behind it. You know all the intention. You know what they intended to do. And because of that, you're upset no matter what it was they actually did. But then when someone does that to you, you're like, what do you say? I didn't mean to. I, I didn't mean to. That's not what I meant. As if that gets you off and it's, it's totally now you're totally exonerated. But the fact is, we do that all the time, and it's so unfair how we act. We justify our actions by our intentions, not by our outcomes. And it doesn't matter sometimes, at least in our minds, what actually happened. What matters is what we wanted to happen or we intended to happen. And we walk away as if we've done something good or okay, even though the, the outcomes and the actual things didn't work out so good. So let me just ask you a question, which is probably an obvious answer, but are good intentions good enough? They're not good enough. Let me say that as a statement. Good intentions aren't good enough. They're not. Not if you really care. Not if you care about what the other person thinks or whatever is going on. If your heart is really in it, then you care what the other people think and think. You care what happens. You care about that. It's not just good intentions. That doesn't matter. It doesn't get you off. And Pastor Jeremy mentioned this, but the fact is we all judge. Now, a lot of times Christians get blamed by, for this, and I understand that. I do. We can talk about that. But the fact is everybody judges, right? I mean, if we're, if we're really going to be honest, everybody does. It's not just a Christian thing. It's a human thing. It doesn't matter your station in life. It doesn't matter your gender. None of those things really come into play because the fact is, as human beings, we make judgments all the time. And we assume things all the time. Why do we do it? Why do you think we do it? I think we do it because it makes us feel better, right? Because ultimately, we're just a little bit selfish, no matter who you are. And the fact is, we want to feel justified. We want to feel good about ourselves. No one wants to walk through life feeling guilty or responsible or having all these weights on us. And it just makes us feel a little bit better. So you look at somebody else and you think, I actually am a better person than them. Makes you feel superior, right? Just a little bit. And inside, you feel like, yeah, I could have done that better. Or, yeah, um, I would never let that happen. Or, I mean, we just do it. 
And sometimes we never, well, some people maybe say it out loud, but for the most part, you don't let it come out of your lips because then then the absurdity of it would hit you right in the face and you would hear it and you would think, I guess I am a little judgy. So what's, what's the bottom line? What's behind all this? I think the bottom line is this. I think inside of all of that is actually kind of a good thing. Now hear me out here. I think what has happened is God has put a sense of justice and morality deep in each of our hearts. St. Augustine said it like this. He said that there's a God-shaped hole in your heart that can only be met by God. And so most of us are walking around and because none of us are perfect and we don't have enough of him, we know how things should be innately. Inside of us, we have this standard that needs to be met. And because we don't usually meet it, we want other people to meet it. And we hold them to standards which we know are impossible. But in the end, it makes us feel a little better if we see them stumble because you know you've stumbled too. And at least we're all in this mess together. I think also, we know that there's a God out there who has a better version of us. And because it takes some work to get there, we'd rather just blame others than work on us. Yeah. Yeah, when you look in the mirror, you realize how unholy you actually are. (laughs) So who can actually judge? Who can judge? I mean, really, who's the person to judge? I don't know about you, but there's times in my life and there's people here in this crowd right here today who I know are better than me. And honestly, if I was going to have somebody judge, they would be a better judge than me. I know that. Maybe for you, you thought of grandma or, or some other person in your life who you know is a Christian, maybe a teacher, or maybe it's your mom, maybe somebody who you knew was really, really, really holy, really good, close to God, at least closer than you. And you think, well, maybe they could judge. <laughs> the problem is this. If all you do is compare like that, then what you've created there is a missing or a moving target. You've created, you know, you talk about moving the goalposts and you think you've got it all lined up and the kick is going to be good and then the goalposts have moved again. Because if you, all you're doing is comparing human to human to human, the problem is none of us are that good. And you could go right down the row and, and, and maybe the person you're sitting by, you think you're better than them, but then they're probably better than the next one and the next one and the next one. And the fact is none of us are all that good. And if all we're doing is comparing to humans, then what you've done is, is all you've got is, is it's just relative goodness. Then there's no absolute standard for who is good. Not that I'm a fan or anything, but maybe Tupac was right, right? That only God can judge me. Isn't that really true, actually? Only God can judge. Jesus addresses this in a few places in Scripture. One of the places is the, is the portion of Scripture that we and the kids are looking at here today. And you may not have thought about it this way, and it may be a portion of Scripture you kind of skipped over because it's right in the middle of a bunch of other stories, but let's take a look for a second. Then Jesus told this story to some had, who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Ouch, ouch. I know he didn't describe anybody here, right? But I bet you he's describing there and you're, you're struggling with my challenge at the beginning of the sermon because you're thinking of somebody who is really confident in their own righteousness and they scorn everybody else. You know how that is, right? You don't like them. Most people don't like to be around people like that because you feel that scorn all the time. And you feel that measure and you feel like you're under a microscope and you feel like every action or reaction or comment or everything that you're doing is being judged by a standard that you know you can never meet because they're very confident in their own righteousness and they scorned everyone else. 
Jesus tells the story. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. He separates himself away. And he says, I thank God. Thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. You got to add the inflection. You just can't read it straight. You got to read it like you'd pray it. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters. Sinners. I'm not pointing at anybody in particular. Adulterers. And then he points and he says, I'm not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. That's right. And I give you a tenth of my income. And he goes on. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh, God. I think of it like this. Oh, God. Oh, God, be merciful to me. For I am a sinner. I tell you this. The sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. (laughs) It's kind of a weird story. And it's one of those stories where there's actually kind of no hero. I think of it like this. It's kind of sinner versus sinner. Isn't that all of us, though? I mean, really. If I could put any of us up there and it'd be sinner versus sinner, right? Right? We wouldn't have the same sins as them, but it's still sinner versus sinner because none of us really equal up to God's holy standard. None of us are all that perfect. The Pharisee, in case you're not familiar, in, at this time in, in Jewish history, there were four main sects of Judaism, four main groups. The Pharisees were one of them, and the Pharisees were actually a pretty spiritual bunch. Now, they weren't, they weren't horrible, horrible in general, but clearly they had some issues that everybody could identify with. They, and here's how this worked. They did study the scriptures diligently. They were the teachers of the law, the Bible, the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible to the Jews. That was who they were. They memorized huge amounts of scripture. And because of that, their standing in the community was very revered. Everybody respected them for that. And you know how that works, right? When you're expected for that or respected for that, and people keep telling you how important you are and how good you are and how holy you are and how much of the Bible you know, what happens to you? Hmm, must be true. I guess I am all that. I guess I am really good. I guess I am, and I do know more of the Bible than you. And what they had done <laughs> is they, they fell into this because they knew more, they looked at the part, they acted right, they dressed right. Because people thought they, good, they were good, they started to fake that they were good. I mean, it just, they started to act like that. The tax collector, maybe you're unaware of this too, but maybe you do know. Tax collectors generally were pretty educated people, but they were despised. And here's why they were despised, because the Roman government, similar to other conquering nations, they were smart like this. One of the things you want to do is you want to divide and conquer. And one of the ways you can do that is they would use the indigenous local people as their tax collectors. Now, they incentivized them. They gave them a huge financial incentive because they told them, you have to turn in this amount of tax. Whatever you tax and and collect above that, you can keep. (laughs) Talk about commission. 
And then the people felt like they were traitors to the, to the Jews because here you are a Jew and you're taking our money and giving it to these occupiers, to the Romans. How dare you do that? But it was smart. It was a smart tactic because if you have a Jew do it and he lives there, then he knows who the rich people are in town already. He knows the culture. He knows where people are. You're not going to be able to get away with anything and hide something and, and keep it away. He knew exactly what it was and he knew where to go and he knew the streets and he knew your address. That's why they were despised. So really, you've got sinner versus sinner. You've got the fake person who thinks they know it all, the holier than thou. And then you've got the hated traitor who's gouging people for their taxes. What was the Pharisee actually judging back in those verses? Was he judging the fact that he collected taxes? Not really. What he was really judging was that man's soul. Think about what he did there. He said, I'm better than him, and I'm holy. God likes me more at the core of who I am than that tax collector. He was judging his motives. He was judging his heart. He was judging who he was. Did you see what the Pharisee thought made him holy? Because he wasn't a cheater like the tax collector. He wasn't a sinner like the tax collector. And then he mentions adulterers. Then he says, and I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of my income. You know what that sounds like? Sounds like salvation by works, doesn't it? Doesn't it sound a little bit like he was saying, God has to like me because I do all these things for him. I dress right. I go to church here. I volunteer with this. I give to this. I do this. I do, I do, I do. Not about who I am, I am, I am. He didn't say one thing about his heart. He said everything about his external actions. Sad. Paul, Paul makes it very clear in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's grace, by grace we've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can boast. No one can boast. Can any of us really know the spiritual condition of another person's soul? You ever wondered about that? It's funny because there's been times where I've been worshiping and this thought comes into my mind. Your hands aren't up high enough. People may not think you're worshiping. You're not smiling today. People may not think you're spiritual. You haven't done this or done that or acted like this or acted like that or the way you look or the way you dress. Are those really the things God judges? He judges right to the heart. Our God is not a superficial God. He's not, he's not like a human who, who makes these judgments based on all these things. He knows the truth. And that's the, that's the interesting thing about it all. Because as the Pharisees standing here judging that sinner, God sees directly to the heart. There's no fooling God. It's not like, it's not like he's got this ledger and say, God, you have to let me in because I did this and this and this for you. <laughs> but your heart was never there. Can you really know? Can you look at somebody and then make an assessment of whether or not they're Christian or not or whether, where they're going? I have a cousin. He's, he's got a funny way with words. He said one time, he goes, he goes, well, that may be true, but I just consider myself a fruit inspector. <laughs> That's judging another way, though, kind of, isn't it? But here's the rub. The fact is, the Bible does call us to judge. It's a different kind of judging. But first, we'll get to this. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you the end before we get there but we 
we're supposed to start judging ourselves. Because there's a ton of scripture that talks about this is how you should live. And you can't, you can't determine what that is unless you make a judgment. And the fact is, as much as the world wants to say, don't judge me. The fact is, we judge everything all day long. You make a judgment when you're picking fruit. You make a judgment when you're picking a mate. You make a judgment when you're picking a church to go to and picking a car. You make a judgment on who you choose for friends. Those are not wrong things because you judge everybody. The difference is, and I think we'll get, there's two things, big things we'll get to that I think God is saying here. But one of them is, he's talking about the fact that you can't judge someone's soul. But he goes on to say this, the fruit inspector, my cousin, the fruit inspector. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. How could it be clear if you don't judge these things? Look at this list. There's a few of these lists in scripture. They're not, they're not necessarily comprehensive. It's not meant to be like a list of sins that you tick off, but the The thing is, it's pretty clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. He is saying those are part of the sinful nature, the normal human nature that we all have. And how could you not see these things if you didn't judge what these things are? You know what they are. Then he says... Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Now, before you start to judge, look what he follows this up with. He says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let me me break this down for a second. Who is he talking to? He's talking to a church in Galatia, which would have been part of Asia Minor. As he's talking to this church, that's the hour. The hour is that group of people, us as Christians. He's saying, let us look at ourselves. He doesn't use the word judge, but that's what he's saying. And make a judgment and make sure that we have crucified those things from our old life and that we're living these new things. Look at this next verse. This is the verse following that statement. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Do you see the balance here? It's a fine balance. But you know what? Life is full of fine balances. We might as well get used to it. The fact is, what he's saying is, here's how the Christian should live. Here's how you lived before you were a Christian. You need to figure this out. You need to live more like this. Let the Spirit control you. You need to live less like this. And by the way, don't become conceited. As you feel like you're living better, and these people aren't quite there yet. Do you get that? It's not to say you can't call sin, sin, or see what's wrong or right. It's not to say that. It's not like we're supposed to walk around with blinders. The difference is you're supposed to do it with humility, not provoking, not be jealous. I'm not sure the fruit inspector thing really is a good analogy. Did you notice when we read those scriptures who it was directed to? It says you, your, you, our, we, us, our, us. How does that work? You, (laughs) you, your, you, our, we, us, our, us. There's a personal thing there. There's an us thing there. 
Here's Jesus' question we're talking about today. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Jesus was such a great teacher. He was so good. He was so good at giving analogies and telling stories that, that he, he illustrated with absurdity and exaggeration. And when he did, he challenged people that I'm sure that they were caught you know, short thinking, oh my goodness, he's talking about me and I didn't even see it coming there. And maybe you're feeling here and you're sitting, okay, he's telling us to judge or not judge. I'm not sure yet what to say. Here's what he says next, hypocrite. First, get rid of that log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Here's where the balance of the scripture comes in. He's talking about hypocrisy. He calls them specifically hypocrites. Do you know where that word comes from? It's really an interesting word. And no offense to any thespians in the room or actors. But it actually comes from, from the Greek comedies and tragedies. The word hypocrite meant for someone who uses a mask. Because back in the day when they did those Greek tragedies and comedies and all that, the Greek, Greek dramas, they, they only had male actors. And a lot of times they'd perform a play with just, you know, it could be a crew of five actors. That's it. So what they would do is they'd have different masks for each of them to play. So when you're playing this person, you put this one on. This person, you put this mask on. And that's where the word hypocrite comes from. The idea that you would live one way, but really there's something else underneath. Or that you fake it and you act like this and you act like this. What he's saying here is, get rid of the log in your own eye. Evaluate yourself. Are you living more in the, in the, <laughs> the fruit of the sinful nature? Or are you living more in the fruit of the spirit? You. You need to evaluate. Does it end there, though? It doesn't. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, this gets complicated. How do you do that? He's talking about hypocrisy. How do you deal with some, some other person's issue? You need to do a lot of prayer before you do that. Let me just say that, okay? I believe it, it comes down, let's just, let's just break some of this down. I think that judging others is when you decide whether or not others are holy based on your opinion. You may see a behavior that you're curious about or question. I understand that. But you really don't know what God is doing in their life. And you don't know where they're at on that progression toward Christ. You know how I look at it? I know this may seem weird, but imagine this is Jesus right here. Okay, I think we're all in, in kind of one way or another. I think for some people, they're standing here and they're looking at him. They're not quite there, but they're looking at him. I think some people, and maybe Pastor Jeremy mentioned this, and kind of as, as uh, we heard in one of the videos, where you're kicking and screaming and your back is toward him. You're not really looking. I think some people are inching toward him. Some people are inching away. And then there's some who are running and trying to get as close as possible. And who are you really to judge where they're at in that process? It really comes down to relationship and it comes down to your own position in Christ. I don't know about you. When I read that verse that we just read and Jesus calls him a, or a hypocrite, Paul calls him a hypocrite. That's the least, the furthest thing from my heart and what I want to be. I do believe this. God is the only judge of the eternal condition of someone's soul. We can see actions, but you don't see the heart. You don't always know. Now, that's not to say that there's times where a fellow believer or someone you love is in, in sin. I'm not saying that. I was thinking about this. Um, 
Years ago, when I was a youth pastor in San Diego, every Thursday, I know you're going to hate me for this, but every Thursday of every summer, we would go to the beach all day. I got paid to do that, I'm just saying. So one time we were at an un unfamiliar beach. We were in at La Jolla, and uh, a bunch of us had walked into the nicer part of the restaurants there to have uh, lunch. And I was sitting at this table with a couple older students. And um, does anybody like root beer? Anybody? Um, <laughs> I don't know why I don't drink it more often. I really do love it. But at this place, they had IBC root beer. Does anybody know what that is? comes in a, a brown bottle about that high, you know, and it has a long neck on it. So I, I had gotten some for all of the, the students that were sitting with me. There's like three guys sitting there. So the four of us were drinking those long neck IBC root beer bottles. You know what those look like? <laughs> Didn't even cross my mind. And then um, I got a phone call the next day from a, another youth pastor. And we'd seen a couple of the youth groups there. And he said, um, hey, Dennis, I feel like I need to talk to you about something. I was just, it's been on my heart really heavy, and I wasn't going to call you, but I, I thought I better call you and uh, just just clear the air. I'm like, yeah, okay. Because you know when we were at the beach yesterday? And I'm like, yeah, I remember seeing you. And he's like, well, we were driving by and saw you guys uh, drinking those Coors Long Necks <laughs> while you were. <laughs> I said, what? What are you talking <laughs> about? Are you sure that was me? And he goes, oh, yeah, it was you. I, I saw you there, yeah. And I'm like, okay. I said, really? And I, I couldn't even remember what he was talking about. Honestly, it was so far from my thought, what he was talking about. And then when it hit me, I just started laughing so loud. And he goes, brother, I don't, I don't know why you're laughing right now. I'm just really grieved in my spirit. And like, <laughs> but, but he did the right thing. Did he judge me? Yeah, he did. But look at what he did. Look at what he did. If another believer sins against you, of course, this wasn't against him necessarily, but go privately and point out the offense. He did it in the most humble, loving way he could muster. I could hear in his voice he was struggling to even get it out. And, and he was concerned for my soul, and he was concerned that he would offend me and hurt me. His heart was so good. And I laughed at him. I just, I was laughing at both those things, not only the misunderstanding, but then bless his heart. He loved me. He loved me. And the love he had for me drove him to call me. And if the other person listens and confess, I did confess it was IBC repair. And then he felt goofy and we laughed and I thanked him for calling me. Because he didn't have to do it that way, right? He could have talked to other people. He could have he he disparaged my character or my witness or the fact that I was a youth pastor and underage guys. I mean, there's a lot of things, but he did the right thing. But you know what? This is way harder, isn't it? It's way harder. It's way harder to care enough about somebody and go to them with humility and love and care in your voice and to say, brother, sister, this is... I'm worried about this. Galatians 6.1, it's, this is one of those verses. I grew up in church and, you know, went to Bible college and all that, but I don't think I saw this verse for what it was until maybe just 20 years ago. Brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. 
Be careful with that, godly. Be careful with that. Some versions say spiritual. Who, who here considers themselves spiritual and godly? <laughs> Appreciate your, humil- your humility in that. Because I consider you that. But I understand the humility gives us a check in our spirit, right? And it should. And look what he says. Go humbly, gently, and humbly and help that person onto the right path. Be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Here's what I want us to hear today. Here's what I want us to hear today. We should be always knowing that God is working in ways we may never know in someone's soul. Does that mean you don't notice what sin is? No, that doesn't mean that. What it means is you make sure your heart is right, you judge yourself, and then you really pray and you go to them in the right spirit and attitude. And you confront personally one-on-one. You know what I believe God's calling us to be? Our, Our agents of grace. Grace, grace, grace. There's not one of us in this room who has gotten what we deserved from God. Not one of us. That's the beauty of grace. Grace means that you don't get what you deserve. And I know for a lot of us, you know, you may feel like, other people have gotten away with things or it's this or that. I get it. I know. I know. And that's true in a lot of cases. But the fact is, none of us have gotten what we deserved. The fact is, none of us, no, not one, not one of us was good. But in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He came for us to redeem us before we ever even knew who he was. Knew who he was. Nick, if you could join, I want you to shut your eyes for a second. And I want you to think about that for a minute. I've said this multiple times today on purpose. You are good people. I know that. There are people in this room who they know God in a way that I just hope to one day. But none of us get what we deserve. None of us are so pure and holy that we make the decisions about everybody else's behavior and internal destiny. None of us. The difference is whether or not you come humbly to him. The difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector wasn't their sin and it wasn't their works. It was the way they came to God. One came humbly, the other came in self-righteousness. What I'm wondering here today is this. For somebody, this may be a breakthrough for you. There might be somebody here that you need to come home humbly to what we sometimes call the throne of grace because when Jesus died for us, he died for all of us and everything that you've ever done. And, and maybe for you, you come to him and you think, I don't deserve it. Well, you're right. None of us do. And you would never be able to deserve it. But there might be someone here today and you think, if this is all true and there's a God like that and he loves me and he would accept me the way I am, then I'd be willing to start following him today. It doesn't mean you'd have it all figured out. It doesn't mean you'd be perfect overnight because none of us are. But if you were wanting to start that journey with him today, we would want to pray with you if you would want that. Anybody here like that, you would raise your hand and say, Pastor Dennis, if this is true, then I would like to start that journey today. Anybody at all. Just give you a moment if you just raise your hand and we'll pray with you. My next question is really for all of us. 
I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm just going to ask the question because I'm going to assume everybody's hand would go up. I'm wondering if anybody in here, and please don't raise your hand, but I'm wondering if anybody in here even occasionally struggles with a little bit of self-righteousness. Anybody? And you know, you know, you know that you need to be humble before him. Let me ask another question. Anybody here need to be an agent of grace toward another believer? Maybe they've offended you or maybe they've done something or whatever. The fact is, if you love and care about them, there's a way that you could approach them that could repair that relationship. Our God is all about that. He's about repairing your relationship with him and our relationships with one another. That's why we talk about loving God and loving others and the fact that you measure your love for God by how you love others. Is there anybody like that? You can raise your hand now. Anybody like that that you know God is calling you to be an agent of grace today? See those hands. Let me pray over us and then I'm going to turn the rest of the service over to Pastor Jeremy, but let me pray over us this morning. Father, we are so grateful that you loved us before we even knew you. And we're grateful, God, that you love us and you accept us right where we are and you walk us through everything in our lives. I pray in the name of Jesus, you would help us never to fall into that trap that the Pharisee had and that self-righteousness, but instead we would always come humbly to you. I pray, Father, in that we would also look at one another with grace, the same grace that you have extended to us. And I pray for those who raise their hands that you are calling them to that kind of difficult relationship reconciliation. And I pray that you would bless them in that and help them as they walk that out. God, we want to be agents of grace today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Pastor Jerry.